It's time to take the quiz. Five questions, five minutes a day, five days a week. Take the quiz every weekday at thequiz.fox and then listen to the quiz podcast to find out how you did. Play, share, and of course, listen to the quiz at thequiz.fox. I'm Ainsley Earhart. I'm Brett Baer. I'm Katie Pavlich, and this is the Fox News Rundown. Tuesday, July 5th, 2022. I'm Dave Anthony. He's a businessman dealing with rising costs and high inflation. So Joe O'Day thinks that gives him an edge relating to voters in Colorado in his attempt to unseat a Democratic senator. I'm the polar opposite of what Michael Bennett is. He has no idea what these people are going through. Otherwise, he'd be changing these policies himself. I'm Chris Foster. Instead of a five-day work week, some companies are experimenting with having people get their work done in four with no cut in pay. I think the conversation has changed from can the four-day work week work, which might have been the question three or four years ago, and now the question is can it work for my business? And I'm Tommy Lahren. I've got the final word on the Fox News Rundown. We're only about four months away from the November elections. Republicans believe they can win control of the House, but what about the Senate? It's 50-50 now, and for Democrats to keep it that way or make gains, they need a Colorado seat to remain blue. Joe O'Day is trying to flip it red. When the chips are down, Michael Bennett does whatever Joe Biden wants him to do. That was after O'Day won the Republican primary last week, beating a conservative to his right who was backed by the left. Politician Joe O'Day is not who he says he is. A super PAC called Democratic Colorado spent millions on attack ads. Before running for Senate as a Republican, O'Day actually supported Democrats and even gave money to Michael Bennett. But the tactic to back Ron Hanks, who they saw as more beatable for Senator Bennett, failed. O'Day won by about 10 points. I got to tell you, getting around the state, meeting with people, talking to all the different constituents out there and about what's important to Colorado, it's been real eye-opening for me. The CEO of a Colorado construction company, this is Joe O'Day's first political campaign. A lot of fun to meet and greet people and talk to them about what's important to them. You know, you had to fend off a pretty strong challenge from the left, what was the reason you think you had to face all that money from Democrats? Well, uh, my dad used to say, look, uh, if you're taking fire, you must be over the target, right? I mean, we, uh, we've we been talking to working Americans about what's important to them, and it's 8.5% inflation, it's $5 gas, it's a 30% hike in crime, it's 20% on the groceries, it's, it's a border that leaks like a sieve, uh, letting fentanyl come up here. And all the policies that the Democrats have put in place, uh, they're worried about. Um, and, and so what they did is they, they tried to steal this uh, election from good Coloradans, and, and uh, it just did, it backfired on them. In fact, I got better name recognition now than I've had through the whole campaign, and I want to thank Schumer for that. He, he did a great job getting my name out there. Uh, they weren't real accurate about where I stand on things, but at least my name was out there. Now, do you think that they are fearing your campaign? I mean, there are political experts who say that it's likely that Senator Bennett will be reelected. It's a likely Democratic win in 2022. 
they never met a contractor on a mission, and I'm I'm here to take our state back. I'm I'm here to put some policies in place that give working Americans relief. And I can tell you right now, when they when they go up against me in November, it ain't gonna be likely. We're gonna beat these guys. We're gonna beat them on their policies. We don't have to make anything up. We're just gonna hold them accountable. You mentioned the the economy, inflation. A new AP poll. You probably saw it. Eighty-five percent of Americans say the country is on the wrong track. I assume that fits right into your narrative. Well, I'm going to tell you that the, the most amazing part about that is who's the fifteen percent that think it's headed in the right direction, right? I mean, that, there's nobody I'm talking to that thinks we're headed in the right direction. I, I can tell you that right now, and and it's a it's because of the policies we've got in place. I mean, when you pull up to the pump, now, the other day I was looking, there's a somebody had put four dollars in in their tank, and it was point eight gallons. It wasn't even a full gallon, but that that's where people are at trying to get to work. So it's really putting pressure on a lot of people here in Colorado. They, they're, they're not going to be able to sustain this. It isn't easy, though, for anyone in government to immediately put a policy in place to lower gas prices right away, though. Isn't it difficult? It's market-driven, right, the price of the pump? It, it, it totally is market-driven, but the, the reality is is that when you talk to some of the oil and gas experts here in Colorado, there's no confidence in the policies that are in place, and so they're not willing to invest. And, you know, so the less we invest here, uh, the less supply we'll have. So it's going to take a while to get in front of that. We're going to need to loosen up the policies to make that uh, something investable that companies want to get in. They know that they can pump for 40 years. Uh, those are the kind of things that we have to get changed right away. And I think once we see that, we'll begin to see some relief. We've just got to flood the market with supply. Of course, abortion is a big issue now after the Supreme Court undid a federal legal right to it, letting states ban or restrict abortions. Colorado is a pro-choice state that allows the procedure. Democratic Senator Michael Bennett says his challenger would be a rubber stamp for the Republican agenda in the Senate and push a nationwide abortion ban. Joe O'Day's response? Well, you know, Bennett's been in Washington too long. I mean, his idea of running Washington is to be a rubber stamp. That's not my idea. I can tell you right now, I'm going to stand on my own. I've been very honest with where I stand, and and I know not everyone agrees with me uh, on my stand in abortion, and I respect that. But Bennett's extreme. He supports a reckless late-term abortion bill that was just signed into law, same one as Polis. Schumer's bill that Bennett voted yes on was a federalization of this reckless practice. I can't support that. I won't support that. I won't support a late-term bill. I won't support using tax dollars. I won't support requiring religious institutions to perform a procedure that they don't want to perform. And I don't support a ban early on in the pregnancy for rape, incest, or medical necessity. And I've been very clear about that. I believe that decision is between a woman and her doctor. And I believe that government shouldn't be involved in every aspect of our lives. We need to we need to change the hearts and minds, and we need to have something different and, and make a adoption socially acceptable. It's it's a very important thing to me. I, I was adopted at birth, and, and I just think about how brave my, my biological mother must have been to carry me to term and turn me over to two loving parents, and we need to make that easier. We need to, if there's tax breaks that can be put around that, I'd be for that. We need to make that socially acceptable, and that's how we, we get rid of, of abortion here in the United States. Like most people, I'm in the middle. I, I, I don't, you know, I don't see it being the extreme one or the other. Okay, yeah, that's what I was going to ask you. you, you I, I saw that you said you're not 100% pro-life or 100% pro-choice. So we're, it's tough to draw the line if you're in the middle. What, what is the line? 
Well, I, I think, as I said, uh, months seven, eight, and nine, that's off the table. That's late term to me. Uh, early on in the pregnancy, I think that should be a woman's right to, to make her own choice. And, and the debate somewhere in the middle, we can have that debate. Uh, I, I don't know exactly where it is. I'd look at viability. Uh, but that's the debate. And when I get to Washington, we'll have that debate. One big issue for Democrats in the evenly divided Senate is getting around Republican opposition. The other day, President Biden, who calls the Supreme Court abortion ruling outrageous, says he would support the Senate getting rid of the filibuster to restore the federal legal right. I believe we have to codify Roe v. Wade in the law, and the way to do that is to make sure the Congress votes to do that. And if the filibuster gets in the way, it's like voting rights, it should be we provide an exception for this. Though Democrats' attempts to void the filibuster on their federal election reform bill failed. Uh, they'll do anything to stay in power. And, and no, I don't believe in that. I'll vote no against changing those filibusters for any reason. They're put there as a uh, safety net. And uh, and I've been very clear about that. I, I will vote no to change those the filibuster rules. Second Amendment. There was just the other day the bipartisan bill that was passed and signed by the president putting some new regulations in place dealing with gun violence. What did you think of that legislation? I would have been no on the bill. I'm a huge supporter of the Second Amendment right. I believe it's a God-given right to defend our families, our our homes. And so there's things in that bill I couldn't support. But I thought it was encouraging that we're starting to have the conversation about mental health. I think that's really, really something that's got to get addressed here in the United States as we move the country forward. It's something that you can see it all over Denver in the homeless situation. Uh, It's something we've got to get ahead of. I also like the the fact that uh, they're talking about more cops on the street, more cops in our schools. If you win and Republicans control the House and the Senate, there may be another run in the future for former President Trump. And I'm sure you're getting this question a lot. The Capitol riot hearings have been going on the last couple of weeks. Have you watched? Is it of, of concern to you, the things that are alleged of the former president's conduct? Well, you know, I haven't had time to watch any of that stuff. I had my head down here running a campaign trying to make sure we got across the finish line here on Tuesday. So um, there's a lot of things that I agree with the the former president on. I thought his policies were really good. I I think that uh, some of the things he did with China, with wages, with our economy, uh, how can you argue with that? Um, I also, there's there's quite a few candidates out there that, uh, like a DeSantis or a Nome that could serve for eight years. I think we got to we got to test the population, see what they want to do. Uh, but you know, if it's if it's going to be Biden and, and somebody else, I'm going to vote against Biden. That that's what I'm going to do. I wanted you to take off your candidate hat, put your businessman hat on. You've talked about the difficulties in the economy. How has it been? I mean, you're in the construction business. How difficult has it been lately? Well, this, you know, we talk about $5 gas, but what is really going on in the construction industry right now is about $6.25 on diesel. And that's almost triple what we were paying uh, just two years ago. Um, and that's put a uh, hammer on the construction industry here across the state. Um, there's a lot of business owners right now that are really uh, looking at this, and, and their confidence is rattled. Uh, I think we're going to see a recession. I, I'd hate to say that, but it, it's looming. Uh, this is unsustainable. Uh, it, it's it's uh, it's going to be uh, trickled down to our employees. 
it's going to affect wages. It's going to affect volumes. And, and if you know if there's a recession, then there'll be a layoff, and that'll have a direct uh, effect on on working Americans, and it won't be positive. Being in the construction business, do you think that you could attract more blue-collar votes than, say, some other Republicans might? Well, you know, I'm a working guy. I started as a carpenter, uh, Got my went through the apprenticeship program. Wife and I ran on up to Colorado State University, where I got most of my construction management degree. But bottom line is we started our company with nothing back in the early 80s. We built that to 300 families here in Colorado. So I, I, I've washed dishes. I've, I've swept the floors. I've, I've changed engines in, a, in a, a loader. I've done everything that we need to do to keep our business going. So I, I really relate to working Americans and how hard it is to, to make ends meet. You know, when we start talking about whether or not you can take a vacation this year, whether or not your kids can go to camp. Yeah, but this is getting bad. I'm the polar opposite of what Michael Bennett is. He has no idea what these people are going through. Otherwise, he'd be changing these policies himself. But in your state, it's term, Democrats have been winning lately. In 2020, Republican Senator Cory Gardner was unseated by John Hickenlooper. Do you think you have an uphill battle? No, I think I think we're gonna we're gonna go in and win this November because Democrats are paying five dollars for gas as well. They're paying record rents, and we're gonna make sure that people see what's really going on. And I got to tell you right now, the tank keeps getting bigger. It's it's not only good Trump Republicans, GOP Republicans, independents, but it's gonna be some disenfranchised Democrats as well. And we're gonna cross the finish line here in November. Joe O'Day, the Republican Senate nominee now in the state of Colorado. Thank you very much for joining us. Hey, I really appreciate you having me on. Thanks again. This is Jimmy Fallon, inviting you to join me for Fox Across America, where we'll discuss every single one of the Democrats' dumb ideas. Just kidding. It's only a three-hour show. Listen live at noon Eastern or get the podcast at foxacrossamerica.com. This is Tommy Lahren with your Fox News commentary coming up. It's the start of a four-day work week for a lot of Americans coming off the 4th of July holiday. For now, every week is a four-day work week for people working for companies taking part in an experiment to see if that's a better way to do things. It includes around 70 companies employing 3,300 people in the United Kingdom. They're four weeks into a six-month trial, testing out what happens when you give people an extra day off for the same pay. Just get your work done. A trial program in Iceland found workers were happier and got just as much done as before. The UK trial is organized by a nonprofit promoting the idea. Four Day Week Global has been working with companies in different industries all over the world over the last number of years to help them to trial or transition to reduce our productivity focused working. Joe Connor is its CEO. We've seen that when you offer reduced hour working to employees as part of a policy which really focuses on productivity and output in the organization, you can deliver the kinds of efficiencies that can improve business performance and productivity. We're also seeing, as we emerge out of the pandemic, more and more leaders being attracted to experimentation with the four-day work week really is something that can deliver the potential for a significant competitive edge when it comes to recruitment and retention. Yeah, I mean, no doubt this is going to be popular with employees, employers. You're going to have to sell them on the idea that this isn't just being nice, that you're actually going to make more money or spend less money by doing this. Yeah, I mean, this isn't some kind of fluffy, cuddly benefit. This is the potential for a partnership between the employer and employees, which is really clear about defining this as a productivity policy, setting very clear measurables and targets that will define whether this is a success and whether this is sustainable for the business. And what you can create is a really powerful 
cultural scenario within your company where the company interests and individual employee interests are very, very closely aligned, because this is something that is so transformative in people's individual daily lives when it comes to more time for caring for children, elderly relatives, more time for family, for community, more time to learn new skills and take on new hobbies, that people are incredibly focused and motivated to make this work within the company so that the benefit can be made permanent. Yeah, the idea here is to get 100% of your work done in 80% of the time, right? So four days instead of five. That works if it's something, you know, project-based. For example, just get the project done done in four days instead of five. It doesn't work in some industries. I can't. I do live newscasts every day. I can't do tomorrow's newscast today. And if you're uh, a fast food worker, you can't serve tomorrow's customers today. So how does that square? Well, it's already the case in those industries that we have a, a construct around the normal work week, which means that not everyone is on, not everyone is working seven days a week, not everyone is covering every shift. So we already have to deploy rosters to ensure that we have coverage to maintain service throughout the work week in those industries. And I think we've seen with the four day work week that, you know, in knowledge type roles, in, you know, what would have been office type roles that now might be hybrid or remote, that the four day work week is something that many companies are finding is very simply achievable once they address some inbuilt inefficiencies in their business around poor meeting discipline, distractions and interruptions, you know, outdated processes or poor use of technology. In other industries, it might be a little bit more complex, but we've seen everything from, you know, manufacturing companies to retail firms to hospitality groups making this success by really empowering their employees to come up with innovative ideas and solutions. We've seen restaurants and bars who have succeeded in reducing work time in the US by really rethinking the ergonomic and physical layout of their premises so that they reduce the length of time between the till and the table so that people are able to serve more customers and receive more tips in a shorter space of time. Also, you know, automating certain administrative tasks around, you know, the booking system, the payment system. So this is something that while it might be a little bit more tricky to figure out in some industries, it can be done and we have seen it be, being done and made a success. Yeah, I mean, it's not going to be, it's not going to work if it's if it's an altruistic thing. It's only going to work if it works for businesses' bottom line, and you're going to have to encourage them to prove or see that that's the case. That's right. But, you know, part of the motivation for us behind this pilot program is we've worked with a lot of individual companies, and we believe if you do this right and if you do this a certain way, you can make this work. You can pull it off. I think the conversation has changed from can the four-day work week work, which might have been the question three or four years ago. And now the question is, can it work for my business? And, you know, we would say to CEOs that is your biggest risk that you try this and you, you don't succeed or that it doesn't work? Or is your biggest risk that you don't engage with the, the changing ground that we're seeing around the world of work and actually your biggest competitor does this first? So I, I think that this is something that that many, many business owners and leaders are now looking at as something that could potentially deliver them an edge if they're able to get it right. So in the U.S., health insurance is often, if not usually, tied to full-time employment. Have you talked about how that could complicate this movement in the U.S.? If, if 32 hours, for example, is considered full-time, according to the federal government, are people going to lose health insurance if this becomes more common? 
Well, I think this is not just a U.S. problem. You know, in most jurisdictions across the world, you know, employment legislation is very much geared towards the five day or the 40 hour work week as being full time. And this can have, you know, unintended knock on consequences in terms of pension accrual, leave entitlements, as well as um, benefits such as health insurance, as you've set out. And often we see companies, you know, to circum circumvent this, they don't change contracts. They introduce this as a policy change. In other words, you know, they have a, a have a separate policy arrangement with their full time employees, which says if you maintain the following you know, targets, objectives, if you maintain output based on what we've defined, then we will gift you that extra day or we'll gift you those additional hours off. Um, and that's worked for, for a huge amount of companies that we've worked with. But I think in the longer term, you know, governments have a role to legislate in order to provide flexibility to businesses that want to embrace um, this new way of reduced hour output focused working without the employer or employees being unnecessarily punished um, for, for, for taking that approach. Yeah, I mean, a five-day work week, a five-day, 40-hour work week wasn't, you know, passed down from on high. There was a, a, a United States government study in the late 1800s. Uh, on average, manufacturing workers were working 100 hours a week. So at some point, the government, you know, could say down the road that this is how it's going to be now. Yeah, and I mean, if you look at the arc of the five-day work week, I feel we're on a, a similar trajectory, but at an earlier point. You know, we didn't start with legislation. There was 30 or 40 years of different countries and different industries were further ahead, you know, and, and the legislation was introduced really to fill in the gaps when this was already popularized as a concept. So I think it's very clear in certain industries and in certain sectors of the economy, based on current trends, this could move from being an ambition to being the norm very, very quickly. I'm talking about areas like tech, ICT, software, finance, parts of professional services. While we've seen examples of this working, you know, in other sectors that you mightn't associate with the shorter work week to the same extent, it may be slower, it may take longer. But our view is that this train at this point is unstoppable. This is something that, in my opinion, is going to continue to grow and grow in the years to come. We'll talk about some of the trials so far and what's happening in uh, the UK now, the largest trial. And it's happening with government workers in Iceland. That's pretty much in place, right? And then what are some trials coming up? So one of the interesting things and observation that, that we've had is we're actually running a trial here in North America with 40 companies in the US and Canada, which kicked off at the start of April. And we've got over 3000 workers participating in that. So not as large as the UK study, but, but still relatively significant. And we've got another program coming up later this year, starting in October. And it, it's funny, we've actually got more interest and more coverage for our UK program in the US than we actually have done for, for the US program. But yeah, we've got, um, between US, Canada, Australia, New Zealand, UK, Ireland. Right now, we've got about 170 companies with over 10,000 employees who've signed up to trials just in the first half of this year alone. Um, and, and really, what we're hoping that, that, that this research will do will be to demonstrate that some of the very positive outcomes that we've seen individual companies experience, you know, can that be replicated on a much broader scale in different industries and in different countries. How does it work in times and in places with with very low unemployment? Obviously, that you know it's a pendulum. But right now, for example, the United States has very low unemployment. If employers do need to add even five or ten percent more workers to fill in gaps, well, I think that's part of you know one of the the drivers that have kind of coalesced and come together to really turbocharge this idea, which you know up to a couple of years ago was very much on the fringes of the future of work conversation now has been catapulted into the mainstream, you know, I think really significantly driven by 
In particular, companies in what used to be primarily office-based employments, now they're hybrid or remote-first type of employments. And maybe those companies, particularly smaller companies that maybe couldn't compete in the top 1% of compensation, previously they might have competed by offering flexible working, offering remote working. Now that's no longer a competitive edge because actually that's now the standard expectation in a lot of industries. So they're turning to the four-day work week as a basis of competing in the top 1% of work weeks. You know, we're seeing this with tech companies who are saying we can't compete with Facebook and Google um, for engineers based on, on salary alone, but we can give ourselves an edge through offering a four-day work week. So what's your uh, what's your vague prediction on when this hits critical mass and it's a, a company's going to be at a disadvantage to say, no, you've got to work five days a week where we where we've turned this corner and it's unstoppable? Well, I think there, there's three layers that this is happening. I think it's happening already at an industry layer. You know, within the next two to three years, I think there are certain industries where the four day work week will be commonplace enough that not offering it will be a competitive disadvantage. I think then over time, you're going to see inter-industry competition where sectors of the economy that are a little bit slower to embrace this or adopt this are having to start to engage with it because of the fact that they're not able to compete against other industries. And I think over time, an interesting thing to watch will be you know, the global war for talent. I think that there's a strong case to be made that as we emerge out of the pandemic, the new front frontier for competition is quality of life. You know, people's, from a demand perspective, people's horizons have shifted in terms of what's possible. People's priorities have changed during the pandemic in terms of the place that they have for family, for community, and, you know, what they believe constitutes a reasonable life-work balance. And those countries that adopt this en masse the quickest will leave themselves at a significant advantage when it comes to winning that global war for talent. So, you know, very difficult to have the crystal ball out. We would never have predicted before the pandemic that things would have rapidly got to where they are today in the space of, of the last 12 months. But certainly by 2030, I think the four-day work week is going to be something that, you know, is 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 not something that that is on the fringes or is a niche, but is a is a pretty cent central feature of large parts of the economy. Joe O'Connor is CEO of Four Day Week Global. It's a nonprofit uh, think tank, I guess you could call it, right? That all sounds good. Yeah. <laughs> okay. Joe Connor, thanks a lot. Take care. Good to talk. Hi, everybody. It's Brian Kilmeade. I want you to join me weekdays at 9 a.m. East as we break down the biggest stories of the day with some of the biggest newsmakers and, of course, what you think. Listen live or get the podcast now at briankilmeadeshow.com. Subscribe to this podcast at foxnewspodcasts.com. It's time for your Fox News commentary. Tommy Laren. What's on your mind? Biden, Kamala, Nancy, cover your ears. The GOP has added at least one million new voters to its rolls, and that includes tens of thousands of swing voters. I wonder why. Could it be soaring inflation, gas prices, border crossings, crime and lawlessness? Or the fact our current president can't answer questions without a cheat sheet and or a teleprompter? All of the above. The data shows those well-educated suburban voters that left the mega movement in 2020 are returning. Good choice. But it's not just the suburbs. Switch voters hail from all over the country, probably because there's not a state Biden's failures haven't touched, though red ones are faring much better. I predict that much like we've seen liberals and conservatives alike flee from blue states and droves, we're going to see those same folks vote red and many of them for the first time ever. We've got a country to save and a new posse with which to do it. I'm Tommy Lahren and you can listen to all of my hot takes at foxnewscommentary.com. 
You've been listening to the Fox News Rundown. Rundown. Stay up to date by subscribing to this podcast at foxnewspodcasts.com. And for up-to-the-minute news, go to foxnews.com. Precise, personal, powerful. Is America's weather team in the palm of your hands? Get Fox weather updates throughout your busy day, every day. Subscribe and listen now at foxnewspodcasts.com or wherever you get your podcasts. Hi, everybody. It's Brian Kilmeade. I want you to join me weekdays at 9 a.m. East as we break down the biggest stories of the day with some of the biggest newsmakers and, of course, what you think. Listen live or get the podcast now at briankilmeadeshow.com.